So we are moving through the book of 1 Peter, and as we get into 1 Peter chapter 3, it's going to give specific words to wives and specific uh, commands and thoughts to husbands. And so before we jump right into 1 Peter 3, uh, I thought we would take a couple of weeks and talk about kind of the foundational aspects of, of marriage. And so as we think about that, there's all kinds of marriage advice that is out there today. So I thought, well, I'll just pull a couple of things that, uh, that, that were uh, eye-catching to me. First off, the statement, and you've probably heard it before, don't marry someone you can live with, marry the person you can't live without. Good advice. The goal in marriage is not to think alike, but to think together. As you get into marriage, it's not just my preferences, her preferences, it's us. We're moving together. Marriage doesn't make you happy. You make your marriage happy. It's a good piece of advice. Sometimes people think, if I just get married, then I'll be happy. Absolutely not. Instead, we bring a sense of health and happiness into our marriage, and that makes the relationship happy and healthy. The happiest couples don't have the best of everything. They just make the best of everything. You're going to face all kinds of challenges as you think about marriage. It's not always having the best, but making the best. Then finally, uh, one I shared with, with some of our, uh, with our adults this morning, and some of them have walked through long periods of marriage, and now uh, one of the spouses has stepped into eternity. And it's a happy marriage is like a long conversation which always seems too short. That's the picture of marriage. When we think about marriage in, in and of itself, we, we get this picture that if we're going to make marriage work, there's two essentials for us. We have to have a biblical conviction about what marriage is, and then we need to apply biblical truth. There has to be biblical application in what the Bible says on how we live. And so we're going to jump into that today as we think about love for a lifetime. So take your Bibles and turn with me to Matthew chapter 19. We're going to pick up together in verse number three, Matthew chapter 19 and verse number three. It says this, Matthew 19, three, the Pharisees also came to him, Jesus, testing him and saying to him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason. And he answered and said to them, have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, What God has joined together, let not man separate. And with that, let's pray. Uh, God, thank you for the truth of your word today. And uh, God, I ask that you would give us just open hearts and open ears and that we would hear your wisdom and what you have to teach us today. In your name, amen. As the religious people like to do, they came to Jesus to test him, but probably out of a sense of curiosity as well to, to ask him, Is it lawful or can a man divorce his wife? Now, to look at the background of Matthew chapter 19 and to look at the background of Jesus' day, there were two really uh, different and very uh, opposite pictures of rabbinical thought in this time. One was this. 
a man can only divorce in case of in, in cases of immorality. If there was something extramarital or if there was something that was immoral, then they could divorce. Matter of fact, it's, remember, there was the woman that was caught in adultery and she was brought before Jesus and, and they said, should we stone her? So capital punishment was not unusual uh, for someone who committed adultery during especially that Old Testament time. And we look at, at the Old Testament verses that laid that out. So there are some that say only in cases of adultery is, is there any exception to, to divorcing. But there was another thought of, of rabbis who said, nope, if your wife does anything that you don't like, then you're free to divorce her. Now, again, ladies, the women, this was a patriarchal society. The men worked and, and made the money, so there wasn't a whole lot of options for wives to leave. But the, the rabbis are discussing, is it okay for a man to leave? So, so seriously, if, if my wife burns my toast this morning, then there would be some of the, the rabbis who would say, no, it's okay to divorce her, man. She blew it. She messed up. She made a mistake. And because she messed up, you are, are justified in, in divorce. So that's why they come to Jesus and they say, look, I mean, some people say it, it's okay to just break up and divorce over anything. And Jesus then comes back and he looks back at the foundational thoughts that we had last week as we explored Genesis chapter one and two, that God created male and female that God assigns gender roles to male and female. There's not a hundred or a hundred thousand or a million different genders. God lays your gender roles right with the sex. You are either a male and you have the XY chromosome, or you, a fem- or you are a female and you have the XX chromosome. So we see these two pictures that the sexes are laid out. He created them male and female, XY, XX. He gives them gender roles that are assigned to that. And he created marriage and marriage is between a man and a woman forever, that they are to leave father and mother, they are to come together, they are to be one flesh. And Jesus then adds on and says, so then what God has joined together, let not man separate. So Jesus lays it out that it is not God's intention for this kind of, for divorce to happen. So he goes on later and he talks about an exception clause dealing with adultery. We're not going to talk about divorce today, but we are going to focus on this aspect of marriage and say, What did the Old Testament say in Genesis 1 and 2? God created male, female. He put them together as a permanent union. How does Jesus affirm this in the New Testament? He goes back and looks at Genesis 1 and 2 and says, God created male and female. He put them together. They are the two are to become one flesh. And what God has joined together, let not man separate. So the picture is, is that God's greatest plan of creating male and female is to, to then come together in marriage. And obviously for, for procreation, for the, the, uh, growth of godly legacies down through the ages. That's all part of what God's goal and ideal is for for marriage. But when we think about this getting married forever thing, that can seem like an awfully long time. That I make a a commitment, maybe in my 20s, that this commitment is going to and should last throughout my whole adult life and I think, man, this is, this is mind blowing. So I have to come in with this biblical conviction that God said, man, he created man and woman to, to be married and to be married forever. Again, the, uh, 
uh, the exception clauses laid out and think about any kind of immorality that takes place outside of marriage, I think that, that, that we can have that argument and that thought of saying God does free the innocent person in, in that, that regard. But his plan is a man, woman come together. They are there forever till death do us part. That's the goal. That's the goal. So, but we think about that in our life and we think, man, what God has joined together, let not man separate. When we think about that, let's think about some of the challenges that come with that. There's some challenges of love for a lifetime. When we think about love and loving someone forever and ever, there's some challenges that arise. First off, there are personal differences that, that come between a, a husband and a wife. These are not good or bad. There's, there's not any right or wrong. They're just different. So that some of you are night people. And some of you are morning people. And I don't know why it is, but morning people tend to marry night people. Or night people tend to marry morning people. Some of you are, uh, are introverts. And some of you are extroverts. Okay? How many of you are extroverts? Put your hand up. All right? That's a good number. I won't make introverts raise their hand. They don't like to. So anyway. <laughs> so, so the picture is, is, is within the, 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 the picture of marriage. Typically, there's one who's a little more extroverted and there's one who's a little more introverted. And, and that's just the way it goes. There are some people who, who like the air 68 or below in the summer. They're always married to someone who likes it 70 or above in the summer when it comes to keeping the air on. They walk in, they walk with a blanket on, they have a sweater on, they're wearing their sweatpants and sweatshirt in the, in, in August while they're in the house. Those are just personal differences that come up. There's no right or there's no wrong, but you find that often the things that attract us to each other are the differences. Those differences, and sometimes those can be the things that drive us crazy. But there's not only uh, personal differences, but, but secondly, we all go through and experience uh, changes in our emotions. We, our, our emotions change over, over time and, and in different circumstances. Our emotions change. One day we're, we're excited, we feel like we're on top of the world, and the next day, I mean, we just feel absolutely miserable. Now, our life circumstance may not have had that drastic of a change in it, but our emotions can, can change through this process. So that when people tell me things like, well, I don't really feel in love. Well, can I tell you, just as, as one who's been married for, for a few years, you don't always have this ooey gooey feeling when it comes to love. It just, there are times it comes and there, it's beautiful, but it just don't always happen that way. They don't always stay. There has to be something deeper than feelings. And, and that is again, that biblical conviction that says, Hey, we're in this together. We're going to work it through together. But our emotions can, can definitely, uh, change through the process. So that a few years ago, uh, we were living in our home in Georgia and the boys were small and, and I was in the bedroom. I think I was reading or something. So I'm sitting, we had a chair in there. And so Julie comes into the bedroom and she closes the door behind her and she pulls out her dresser drawers and she's going to change clothes. And, uh, then one of the boys burst through the door, uh, right when she was picking out clothes to change clothes. She said, Hey, I'm changing clothes here and you didn't knock. And so she fussed at him and I thought, man, that was a little too intense. 
So I fussed at her for fussing at him. So I then came up with this final statement as I'm saying, look, you don't need to get on that bad. And then I said something like this. If you're afraid someone's going to walk in on you when you're changing, just lock the door. And then I went out to check on the boys and I heard a click behind me. <laughs> so, so emotions can, can change. Uh, we were at, going to some people's house. We were uh, seeing some friends. And uh, I was helping get something out of the front seat. And I was standing like this. And I had my hand uh, where the, the sliding door of the minivan. And she closed my hand in the sliding door of the minivan. <laughs> Listen, emotions change. <laughs> emotions change. They can be up. They can be down. Our, our marriage can't be built on emotion. It has to be something deeper than that because our emotions will always be in flux. Our emotions, depending on, on, on the weather or whatever else is out there, I mean, physiologically, whatever's going on, we can have an emotional uh, change. Thirdly, when we think about the areas of conflict, conflicts arise. In any relationship, conflicts always come up. Now, you think that a good marriage doesn't face conflict, and that's exactly wrong. Every marriage faces conflict. Just like you face conflict in your life, and I face conflict in my life, we all face conflict. We face conflict because emotions change. We face conflict because we have personal differences. But there are some conflicts that we face that that we don't even precipitate in our own relationship. They just get thrust upon us, like someone losing their job. Finances getting tight. One of our parents getting sick. A child who is sick. Those kinds of things. So conflicts arise, and we may not have any control over any of those conflicts, but they come into our life. They're usually unexpected and uninvited, but nevertheless, they come into our life. And when these conflicts arise, we've got to learn how to deal with them. All right? But how we walk through this problem and how we walk through this challenge is essential in saying that, man, I'm, I'm walking through this and so uh, I, I'm just quitting. It's easier for me to walk away than for us to face this conflict together. That's just not an option. That's not an option. Fourthly, we see that, that really a lot of our marital challenges arise because we're both sinners. We're both sinners. Julie types my sermons and, and takes the titles of them. And I told her I wanted to call and title this sermon, I Married a Sinner. <laughs> and then I was going to put in small words under, underneath, but she married a bigger one. Uh, but she didn't go for that title. So anyway, so we just called it Love for a Lifetime instead. The, the, the picture is, is, listen, we all married a sinner. And we're sinners. And because we're sinners and we married a sinner, we, in a, in a heartbeat, can get into the flesh and get into that selfishness and get into that sin nature. And when we get there and we get selfish and only thinking about us, that can cause a real challenge and a real stir in our marriage. So that we both have to come to understand. And when we come into a marriage, I did not marry a perfect person. She did not marry a perfect person. And the truth is, is I should have written, I married a sinner in small letters, and she married a bigger one in bigger letters. 
Because the challenge and the issue is, is that both of us can get in the flesh, but there's only one person that I can control, and that's me. And when I get into the flesh, there are no excuses. And yet, put, slam my hand in a car, car door, and I just may, you know? The, the picture is, is there are challenges. That's why marriages don't make it. So you have to have this biblical conviction that says, despite our differences, despite our emotions, despite the challenges we face, despite the fact that we're both sinners, we're going to go into this marriage with this commitment that says what God has joined together, we're not going to break up. We're staying in it for the long haul. Okay? So how do I do that? How how do I make this work? Well, Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus in chapter 4, and after dealing three chapters in great doctrine and and great foundation, he starts in chapter 4 and then begins to write a practical application that you should walk this way, that you should live this way. And in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25 and following, we really see the call to love for a lifetime. So so if you have your Bibles and and want to look in Ephesians chapter 4, that really is going to be where we pick up. Because here's the truth, that Paul, when he writes to the church and says, you should do this and act this way and work in this kind of function and, and, and fashion, as he writes to the church and says, this is how you should live, the truth is, is we can apply this directly into our marriage relationship, and as we do, and if we will, then it will change everything. Okay, so let's pick up together in, in Ephesians chapter 4, in verse number 25. We're going to read on down through Ephesians chapter 5, but pick up with me, Ephesians 4.25. Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one body. So if we're going to speak truth to our neighbor, don't you think that within our marriage that we should be honest? The picture is absolutely so that we can take these applications that are made on a wide span and bring them into this narrow span. When it comes to the call to love for a lifetime, we should be honest. Be honest. Live with a, with a sense of honesty in your life. When you are dishonest, it promotes suspicion. When you uh, are dishonest, it brings this pervasive, uh, uneasy feeling in someone's life that things are just not right. Honesty is a choice and honesty is an action. Now, this doesn't mean that I have to give my input and brutal, honest input on everything that my spouse does or every word that comes into my mouth because Ephesians 4.15 tells me to speak the truth in love. And there are times that, you know, if you really don't like that outfit, you can just say, if you like it, I'm fine with that, okay, and and move on. You don't have to make a fight out of things, but the, the key is, in the big areas of life, we have to be honest. If you're going to build a relationship, it's going to start with honesty. That's in the church, and that's in your house, that's in your marriage. So that with your, with your family, being honest is essential. And in your marriage, being honest is absolutely essential. So be honest. Slide on down. Verse number 26. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. Deal with anger. He says be angry and do not sin. When we are angry about the things that God is angry about, then it's okay. But the truth is, and when we look at this, is we're to be angry and not sin. We have to to watch our 
temper. We have to guard over that sense of anger that can come up in us. Be angry and do not sin. Deal with your anger. Deal with it. There are things that should make you angry. When we see the world in which we live, when we see the sinfulness of, in, in, of the world in which we live, when we see the abuse and neglect and harm of people out there in the world, we should be angry about some of those kinds of things. But within our marriage, we have to be very careful that when we are angry that we don't go over the line and sin and lose our temper. And then he says, and don't let the sun go down on your wrath. So there's two great verses that deal with anger. James 1.19 says this, Be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. So be very slow to get angry. And then this passage says, Don't let the sun go down on your, your wrath or on your anger. So be very quick to get over it. There are times that uh, you'll, you'll face challenges in your marriage. And, and usually, one, one person in your marriage is, is wired a little hotter than the other one. And so that person who has that, that, that short fuse needs to, to, to guard it. You need to deal with it. You need to be careful. There are times that you need to walk away. There are times that you need to just take a breath. Deal with your anger. Notice the next verse, because I think it ties into this verse as well. Notice verse number 27. Nor give place to the devil. Stay on guard. Don't give place to the devil. I think here, specifically in the realm of anger, when we get angry, we have a tendency to leave a place or a room or opportunity for the devil to get in. Let's, let's play pretend here for a minute. Pretend somebody's after you. I mean, they're after you. They're a bad guy and they're after you. And you are at the mall, you know that this person's after you. You get in your car and you drive home as fast as you can. And as soon as you get out of the car, they're out of their car and they're chasing you. And you run into your house and they follow you into the house. And then you get up to your bedroom and you begin to close the door and they put their foot in the door jam. Are you going to click the lock and then think, okay, I'm okay? Giving place to the devil means that I allow him to keep his foot in the door jam. I give him a, a foothold into that door of my life. In Genesis chapter 4, Cain and Abel both brought offerings to the Lord. You remember Abel's offering was of an animal and he offered his best and gave it to God and God was pleased with it. And then Cain brought, you know, some vegetables and it kind of gives the picture. He just threw them together and God did not accept Cain's offering. And then God says something, careful, 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 Cain. Because sin is crouching or lying at your door. I think that's around verse number four, Genesis four. The picture is, is when we get angry, we can allow the devil to have a foothold into our door. That when that opportunity comes, he's going to push himself in. Be careful. Watch this. Don't give place to the devil. Notice with me down the next verse, verse number 28. He says this, Let him who uh, stole steal no longer. Let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has needs. Let me just put it this way. Be a giver, not a taker. Be a giver, not a taker. There, there are some who, again, in society, they just think it's okay to take. 
but in our marriage. He says, look, work at it. Don't just come into marriage and think, all right, you know, I'm a, I'm a man here. I got someone who's going to do the laundry and do the dishes and cook my meals for me. That's not how it is. That's not how it is. Or ladies to think, ah, oh, yeah, well, he's, he, he's just going to take care of all this stuff in my life and I don't have to give. The challenge is that we have to be givers, not just takers, that we have to be on the offensive. Apathy has no place in, in marriage on a man's side or a woman's side. It's not 50-50. Listen, 50-50 is something that happens at the point of divorce where they divide up your stuff. It's a hundred, a hundred that says I'm going all in and I'm giving everything that I can. That's the picture. Be a giver. Then notice verse number 29. This one's going to deal with the tongue and it's going to, it's going to hit us. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification that it may impart grace to the hearers. Watch your words. Corrupt words come from a corrupt heart. Matthew chapter 12, verse number 34. Uh, Jesus says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Watch your words. Sticks and stones may really break somebody's bones. But words in marriage are going to hurt way longer than a stick or a stone. Words. And they're not soon forgotten. There are words that, 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 that shouldn't be be used. There, there are words that you shouldn't go there. You name calling and threats and words of anger. You, you know what happens when you don't watch your words in some person's life, they think, oh, does he really think that about me? Does she really think I'm that big of a loser? And you know what that does? That gives place to the devil. And the devil gets in there and says, you really are a loser. You really are worthless. And it just festers up this whole issue in their life. That even if the words are, are forgotten, there's still this seed that has grown. Be careful. Watch your words. Proverbs tells us that life and death are in the power of the tongue. Words. Watch your words. Guard your tongue. Notice with me the next verse down in Ephesians chapter 4. Verse number 30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger, clamor, evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit by harboring sin. He deals with some of those sins, I think, in the previous verses. Sins like lying, be honest. Sins like stealing instead of giving. Unwholesome words that come out of your mouth. When we hold on to these kinds of sins, then he goes through a whole list beginning in verse number 31. Talking about anger and malice, clamoring. You know who you need the most in your marriage? You need a relationship this way. And when we grieve the Holy Spirit, that means to, to make the Holy Spirit uh, sorrowful or mournful. He, he, 
quits energizing us and he's sorrowed and he's mournful. He says that we're sealed until the day of redemption. We're not going to lose our salvation if we come to know Jesus. We're not going to lose that. But the truth is, is that we're going to lose the joy in our relationships. So that if my relationship is not right this way, I'm going to have a hard time living it out here. That's the picture. So that I've got to guard my heart and make sure the Holy Spirit and the power of God is flowing in me so that the power of God can flow through me to others. Listen, this is not only applies to marriage, but this applies to our work and, and all of our other relationships as well. I've got to make sure the Holy Spirit is working in my life so that the Holy Spirit can work through my life and impact others. And when I'm not walking in the Spirit, but I'm grieving the Spirit, when I'm not fulfilling the fruit of the Spirit of love and joy and peace, and patience, it shows that I'm living by myself and under my own self-control. But I don't know, and I don't know about you, but I don't trust my own self-control. I can't because I'm a sinner. I've got to lean on the Lord. So don't grieve the Holy Spirit by harboring sin. And the picture is, is that sometimes we want to hold on to this and think, I have the right to be angry. I have the right to be mad. And all that does is, first off, it cuts off the flow of God's power to my life, and then it affects every relationship around me. Hebrews chapter 13 says, the, be, be careful lest the root of bitterness begin to grow in your life that defiles many. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Then he goes on in verse number 32. And be kind one to another and tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ Jesus has forgiven you. There's the picture of being kind. Be kind. It's a show of benevolence and compassion. I had some guys walk out after the first service, and they said, Oh, great, you told us we have to be kind, so now i got to go home and vacuum or go home and help with the laundry. Well, kindness can be spelled housework. Kindness can be spelled compassion. Kindness can be spelled, look, you've had a long week and I've had a long week. Look, what if I just pick out dinner on the way home? It's kindness. It's just the picture of benevolence towards someone else. And going out of my way and giving of myself, because I'm a giver, not a taker, I'm going to go the extra mile to help with the laundry or to help with the dishes or to help when the company's coming or to help clean up. It's, it's kindness. Then he says, and be tender-hearted or be tender in 1956, Elvis cut a song called Love Me Tender. It's still, it's been cut by a bunch of folks since then. But Rolling Stone placed it as one of the top 500 song of, songs of all time. Now, why would a song like that stay in the top 500? There's been millions of songs written. Because there's this tenderness and compassion and benevolence and soft side of marriage that we have to embrace be tender, be kind, be tender. And then he says, and be forgiving one to another. <laughs> Marriage has to be about two good forgivers. And he gives the picture here of how we're to forgive. Just as God has forgiven us in Jesus, what did it cost Jesus to bring forgiveness into your life? It cost him going to the cross facing this insurmountable human suffering, but an infinite spiritual suffering as he takes the sin of all mankind upon himself and he dies on the cross and he says, and that's the way I want you to forgive. 
Just like Jesus has forgiven you of all of your sins, I want you to forgive just like that. You say, well, somebody said something, somebody did something, somebody really hurt me. I don't know if I can ever forgive them. You can. Matter of fact, you can forgive them today. The, the picture is, is, is you can say the words, but the truth is, is whatever God tells us to do, he gives us the ability through his spirit to do. So that if someone has deeply hurt you in your life, you can experience, because you've experienced his forgiveness, you can offer forgiveness. You're not saying what they did was okay. You're not approving of what they did. But you're saying, I am not going to be emotionally tied and have a ball and chain around me when it comes to that. I'm going to extend forgiveness. This is what that means. Whenever that thought comes back to my mind, I am not going to in any way, shape, or form retaliate to that person. They say forgive and forget. The truth is, is we don't forget. If somebody really hurts us, a lot of times we won't forget. But what I choose to do is say, I'm not going to respond to that in any retaliatory fashion. Instead, when that comes up and when that thought, when that feeling, when that emotion arises within me, I'm going to choose to say, Lord, I know you have forgiven me and I forgive. And so, Lord, I am not going to retaliate in any way shape or form, in an active way or a passive-aggressive way. I'm just laying it before you. So some of you, if you're dealing with difficult areas of forgiveness today, I, I will tell you it does become a process, and maybe today you need to just pray, Lord, would you just put me in the right direction of forgiveness? And then tomorrow say, Lord, would you help me to take a step? And Lord, would you help me to take a step? And Lord, would you help me to let go of that and take a step toward forgiveness? I know you have forgiven me. And Lord, because you have forgiven me, I can be forgiven. I have uh, someone that recently that I talked to that I challenged with Ephesians 4.32, and they had some deep, hurtful, painful feelings uh, because of something that had happened in their past. And I said, look, you, every time you need to go to Ephesians 4.32, you need to write that on a, on a note card. You need to take that with you wherever you go. You need to have Ephesians 4.32. Can I tell you what's happened? Victory. It didn't happen in a day or in a moment. But it happened. And, and, and it not only changed this person's life, but it began to take shape so that other people began to notice as well. Be forgiving. Just like Jesus forgave you. Then he goes on and he jumps into chapter 5. Now you have to understand that when Paul sit, sat down to write the book of Ephesians, he didn't say, okay, this is going to be verse number 32, and I think I'll start a new chapter here, and this will be chapter 5, and I'm going to start with point number 1. That was added much later for our convenience. But Paul continues with that same thought and says, therefore, be imitators of God, that we're to, to press on in that, and that we are to walk in love, just as Christ did. Okay, Notice, therefore, be imitators of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us. All right, what are we supposed to do? Walk in love, just like Jesus did. Just like Jesus did. When my kids act like me, sometimes it's, it's moments of great victory. And I think, wow, that's awesome that I can see that. There are other times I think, oh man, I hope their mama's not watching. So uh, they're imitators. They just pick up naturally and over the years of having watched their dad. That, that's how they, they live and how sometimes they, they act. And when we know the Lord, and when we're in his word, and when we're walking in the truth, we're going to love people. We should love people more today than we did last week or last month or last year because we're closer to God now. 
And as we get closer to God, we take on more of God's characteristics. And as we get closer to God and take on more of God's characteristics, what is the first fruit of the Spirit? It's love. Matter of fact, this goes so far in 1 John 4, 8, it tells us in the Bible that God is love. So walk in love. Then we got to wrap it up. Stay morally pure. Stay morally pure. He's going to deal beginning in verse number 3. Fornication, all uncleanness, covetousness. Let it not even be named among you as is fitting. And don't get into filthiness. Listen, there are some things you shouldn't, you shouldn't act that way. And don't even talk about it. Seek to be morally pure. Can I tell you that our entertainment is, industry is not only out there to entertain, but they seek to educate and infuse their values in our life. It's not just about laughing at something. It's they have a worldview that they're pushing so that adultery and immorality and, and just living together and not getting married, it's all okay to the world. And the Bible says that's not the way it is. And then notice the last words of verse number four. He says that uh, we're not to do those things and mess stuff with not fitting, but he says rather giving of thanks. An inward sense of gratitude is going to make us happier in our life and in our marriage. And if we think that I'm going to go into marriage and it's going to make me happy and it's going to make me thankful, that's just not the way it is. Instead, we go, within, we go in our marriage with a disposition that I'm going to have someone and something to be thankful for. Even on the hard days, I can be thankful. Even on the challenging days, I can be thankful. Even through the conflicts, I can be thankful. When there are personality differences and, and uh, uh, there are spiritual gifting differences and there are just preferences and likes that are different, I can be thankful. And can I tell you, I'm thankful I didn't marry someone exactly like me. And that's the way marriage should be. You shouldn't marry someone exactly like you. If you marry someone exactly like you, then one of you doesn't really need to even be around or exist. You both have the same opinion about everything. The truth is, is that God has seen fit to put two people together that are unlike each other. You can see the consequences of of that and, and what that is going to bring to your marriage. And I wrote them all out for you, and I hope that you'll read them. But we're not going to go there today because we don't have time, except to say on the last two. And Malachi chapter 2 and verse number 15 It reminds us that God has put a husband and wife together so that they can have a godly legacy and that they can have offspring that are godly. So the family is important. And that honors God in in Malachi chapter 2 and verse number 11 as we live in marriage and we stand as a light in our world.